I like to read, um, and I hate to get to the end of a good book. You're in that last chapter, you know it's about to come to a close, and you really, you wish the book would just kind of go on and on and on. And, and some of you know that feeling very well. You love to read, and you hate to get to the end of a book uh, because you've become acquainted with the characters in the book and the storyline. It's just, it's just kind of drawn you in. Now, I say that knowing that there are some of you who are sitting out there who are exactly the opposite. You don't enjoy reading at all. And when you get to the end of the book, you break into a little boogie. I mean, you're dancing because it's over. Okay, I, 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 whew, I've checked that one off my list for the year. I read a book. Okay, so you're done with it. And some of you don't know the joy of, of finishing that up. But, but I, I'm a little, I, maybe you're like this. When I get a book, and even though I enjoy reading, when I get a book, I always go and I, I see where the last page is in the book. I want to know how many pages are in that book. And so the book has uh, 436 pages in it. So I know as I'm reading through that book, when I, you know, get up to, you know, a little over 200, uh, actually on page 218, because I can divide. When I get to 218, I know, you know what, I'm halfway finished with this book. And if it's a not so good book, then I'm grateful that I'm halfway through with it. But if it's a good book, then I'm going, okay. I know this story is going to end sometime. I don't know how it's going to end, but I, I'm on the downward slope. Now, when I start hitting page 400, I know the story's about to, to wrap up. And when I get to that last page and see the, the end on the page, the story's done. Now, here's the thing about books. You can do that with a book. You can look at the last page. You know how many pages are left. You know when you're going to get to the end. But you've discovered that it's not the same with life. We don't know how many pages are in this book of our lives. We don't know if there's 200 pages or 300 pages or 400 pages or 1,000 pages. We really don't know when we're going to get to that last page that says the end. We also don't know when this world in which we live is going to come to its last page. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And Jesus himself said that no one knows the day or the hour. So we know there's an end somewhere. We simply don't know where that end is. And so we live between the beginning and the end, but not knowing which day will be the last page. There's lots of things we don't know. So what do we know? We know that God has said an end is coming, and we know that God himself holds the timer. You don't hold it. I don't hold it. God holds the timer. And so as we think about the end, the end of days when Jesus is going to come back, as we're thinking about that, I'd like to point us to what Jesus had to say about it. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 24. The first 14 verses. And I want to handle this a little differently. I'm not going to read it straight through. 
but we're going to break it apart a little bit and begin to look at it kind of segment by segment. And so you'll want to keep your Bibles open. The words will also be on the screen to help you. There's not nearly enough time to delve into the fullness of these verses. And quite frankly, I'm not smart enough to do it anyway. But we're going to give it a shot. And so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us as we open His Word together. Father God, this is Your Word. It is true and it is life. And we pray, Father, that we will experience both as we read. We ask that You would give us an understanding that is beyond ourselves, something that only Your Holy Spirit can do as, it brings, as He brings us alive to Your Word. We know Your Word's already alive. We just need to recognize it and become alive to it. And so God speak to us. We're listening. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. So let's begin to look in verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. The time frame of this episode is that last week of Jesus' life, the week that is called the Passion Week. This is very likely towards the end of the day on Tuesday. The Tuesday before his crucifixion. Jesus is grieved as he leaves the temple. He's grieved over the plight of his people and their future. For Jesus could see something the disciples could not see. He beheld the suffering, the rejection that he himself would face at the hands of his people. But he saw even further into their suffering and their rejection that would follow. He says at the end of chapter 23, if you back up a little bit there, verses 37 and 38, this, this, is, this is Jesus' heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often... I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. These are Jesus' words. These are grieving words. Jesus is not merely thinking about his own rejection at the hands of his people. He's thinking about the future of those people and what is going to happen, what is going to come. It is with a heavy heart that Jesus walks away from Jerusalem. And perhaps they traveled up some way along the road to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples look back on the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mound, and, and they look back and they see the city gleaming in the last light of the day, those brilliant white stones reflecting the sun's rays, and it, 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 it just captivates them. They are in awe of what they're seeing, 
in the city of Jerusalem. And they mention this to Jesus, how magnificent, how awesome it is to look out and behold that city. But Jesus basically turns to them and says, you see those buildings? I want to tell you, there's going to come a time when there's not one stone left stacked on the other. Those massive handcrafted stones are going to be a pile of rubble. The day's coming. Now for the disciples, this would have been absolutely stunning. They could not conceive that this huge structure that represented and symbolized the Jewish faith, they could not fathom that that building could be utterly destroyed. It was, after all, the symbol of the Jewish religion. And Jesus is saying that it's going to be a pile of rubble. They could not imagine that future, but Jesus could see it. This is not merely a prediction. These are the eyes of God for whom time matters not. Seeing what would happen in just a generation. Let's go on. Verse 3. So as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus had revealed to them a future that was very different than anything that they could imagine. It was totally beyond their realm of of comprehension. And if the temple were going to be destroyed, as Jesus said, then that surely, that event would usher in the end of everything. Their faith, their religion was so tied up in the worship at the temple that they could not imagine the world going on if the temple were in ruins. And so you can imagine as they walk up the Mount of Olives after Jesus has said this to them, that they're whispering to one another, what do you think it means? When do you think this is going to happen? And so finally, when they get to their destination, they come to Jesus privately and they say, hey, would you fill us in on the details? Now, I want you to notice something that they've done here. Take a look at the verse. It says, uh, when will this happen? That is the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? See, they have folded all this together. The destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus and the end of the age in their minds could not be separated. And we also need to understand that they had a different idea of what the coming of Jesus meant. You see, when we think about the coming of Jesus, we're looking at the the skies being rolled back as a scroll and Jesus coming in all his glory with the angels of God. That's what we're thinking. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, hey, Jesus, when are you getting your army together? Marching downtown Jerusalem and taking over. When is your coming, your inauguration as king? 
When's that going to happen? And so their minds are mixing all things together and putting their thoughts, and, and they're not quite getting exactly what Jesus is saying. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's not going to give them a date, but Jesus is going to give them a description of what the world is going to be like when all this happens. And so he begins in verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. So Jesus doesn't give them time and date. But instead instead he gives them a description of what it is that he sees as he effortlessly looks through time. What does he say? He says, there will be a temptation for you to be deceived and drawn away. There will be false messiahs who say, hey, come follow me. There will be wars and much talk of war. But Jesus said, now don't get overly worked up over this. That's not the end. The end is still to come. There will be nations who rise up against nations and kingdoms who rise up against kingdoms. And there will be famine. And there will be earthquakes. But all these, he said, are the beginnings of birth pains. Now for the disciples, they're thinking... Man, if all that's going on, that has got to be it. I mean, that has got to be the the grand finale of this world if all these things are taking place. But Jesus said, hey, the birth pains are just starting. He goes on, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so what Jesus is talking about is there is not just some general upheaval in the natural world. There's something that's also taking place that will affect those who follow him. What does he mention? Persecution. Hatred. Death. It would all come because there were people who believed in him. This is not just some universal mess up in the world. This is going to happen Among you guys, you're going to experience this. The people who follow me are going to experience this. And even worse, he says, there will be hatred and betrayal 
even among each other. Believers will turn. People who profess to follow Christ will turn on other believers, perhaps to save themselves. And again, false prophets. People who are going to be standing up and telling beautiful lies are going to be drawing people away. There appears to be, according to Jesus, an overall increase in wickedness in the world and a corresponding loss of love for people. In other words, these are bad, bad times. The world is in upheaval, wickedness is rampant, and the church is under attack from outside, and there's a lot of disruption, hatred, and betrayal even inside. These describe some turbulent times. Now, when is this? Maybe you're asking yourself that. When is all this going to happen? Well, prior to the destruction of the temple, you could literally go down that list and find something that fits into every one of those categories, even before 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. We see persecution. We see famines. We see earthquakes. We see people who walked away from the faith. We see false prophets rising up. We see all these things happening. But the end didn't come. Oh, the temple was destroyed, but the end didn't come. I tell you, it's hard to read these verses and not get the feeling that this is eerily familiar. It doesn't take long. You, oh, you, you have to get beyond the evening news. You have to dig a little deeper. But it doesn't take long to realize that there are people who are standing in the name of Jesus Christ who are having heads cut off and limbs cut off and family members slaughtered in front of them and homes and businesses burned. We're kind of immune. Uh, Living as Americans, we're inoculated from all that. But that doesn't make it any less true. There is great suffering that is taking place right now as we speak for the name of Jesus Christ. Where are the false messiahs? They're around. Think about all those Christian-like faiths, those that borrow some truth and combine it with untruth to create a different Jesus, a different God, a different hope. Maybe they come knocking on your door on Saturday morning. Maybe they come up riding on bicycles right after dinner. They're here. And what Jesus is describing not only took place within the lifetime of those disciples, but is also taking place even now. 
So when will the end come? We asked the same question the disciples did. Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you when it's coming. But it is coming. And you just need to understand that things are going to get pretty bad before the end comes. Now, I also want you to notice something because this, this is important. Notice verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is giving his followers and is giving us, he is giving us these warnings. He's telling us how bad it's going to get. He's telling us that we will be tempted to go astray, which is one of the reasons, folks, one of the reasons I want us grounded in the word of God. Because if we know God's word, then we will recognize the counterfeit. And so these things are going to happen. And, and somehow we've got this idea that if we were, we're Christians right now here living in America, that everything ought to be honky-dory, everything ought to be good. There's no thorns on our roses. Had a conversation via Facebook. Some of you do that. Some of you don't. But the conversation was, why didn't God give us a break every now and then? I'm thinking about the cross the whole time. What what more break do you want than the cross of Jesus Christ? What greater break could a sinner be given than to have their sins taken away? And I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to be heartless. And I don't want to jump down somebody's throat. But that's the first thing that hit me. I'm looking for a break from God. If God never did anything for me other than send his son to die on the cross for me, is that not enough? These things are going to happen, Jesus says. But these are the beginnings of the birth pains. The end is yet to come. Well, what about this persevering? Does that mean then that persevering is that one work that we must do in order to be saved? Well, you know, we're, Scripture teaches us that we're saved by grace, that is a gift from God, through faith, that is believing, and it's not something we do ourselves. It is God's gift to us, and it is not by works, so you can't get up before God and say, hey, look what I did. Okay, so if perseverance is not a work, what is it? Those who stand firm to the end will be saved. That means those who persevere prove their faith is genuine. Perseverance is not what saves you. It is what shows you are saved. Think about that. Perseverance is not what saves you. It's what shows you're saved. That you hang in there to the end. Oh, yes, your faith may go up and down like a cork on a, on a windy lake. There may be times where you feel full of faith and times where you feel as if you have only a thimble full. But I'm telling you, faith the size of a mustard seed is enough to hang on regardless of what happens. And we complain because our finances aren't what we want them to be and our health isn't what we want it to be. 
Our living conditions aren't what we want it to be. But my feet have walked the Bate, Bate 7 in the Dominican Republic. Where I am telling you there is no health care, very little fresh water, not enough food to eat, not enough adequate clothing. There's not enough roof to cover their heads when the rainy season comes. And you will not find the joy in an American church that you're going to find in some of those Haitian bates among the believers. Why? Because they understand something that we haven't yet understood. Our faith is not about our prosperity. Our faith is about our poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because they'll see God. They understand that. We've been bought off. Too many of us. And so, verse 14, let's, let's go to that. Because this is, this is actually where I want to start preaching this morning. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, Jesus said, then, then the end will come. In other words, you and I have a part in bringing about the return of Jesus. We have a part in that. When the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus, is preached to every nation all over the world. Now, the word nation is not, don't think about it. When we look at, you know, we spin the globe and we see all these borders and boundaries and we think about those are nations. The, the word here for nations is the Greek word ethnos, which means people groups. People who are, are broken up and they're eth- ethnic groups scattered here, there, and yonder. And there are so many of those, and so many of those are yet to be reached. And I want to let you know, your international mission board, your international mission board is committed, is committed to going where the gospel of Jesus has never gone, where there is no church planted, where there is no gospel proclaimed. Your international mission board is committed to going to the nations, to the ethnos. Why? Because they want to see that promise, that prayer at the end of Revelation fulfilled, which says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You have a role in this. I have a role in this. Now, I want you to hang in with me because I want to read a significant portion of Scripture to you. This is something that Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's not all printed there for you, but if you want to turn there, you can. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, because this is Peter speaking. We've heard what Jesus has said here. And now Peter, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear what he writes. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 13, and here it goes. Dear friends, he says, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. 
Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And these water, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we, we his people, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Where righteousness dwells. So what does Peter do? He echoes what Jesus said. It's going to get bad, folks. It's going to get bad. And you'll wonder, could it get any worse? Why hadn't God already shown up and and fixed it all and and made it all right and and put everything in its proper place? Well, the answer is pretty simple. God didn't wear a Timex. God is not on your timetable. Peter tells us that God is patient. Why is he patient? Because there's still more to hear the name of Jesus. There's still more to come to faith. There's still more to embrace his son. There's still more seats at the heavenly banquet table. And there are still more rooms in his house to be filled. And you and I, you and I, are entrusted with the task of sharing the gospel so that the name of Jesus goes to every nation. Then the end will come. We will join in his work of redemption. So Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, all these things that you've been accumulating, your house, your boat, your car, your stereo, your TV, all these things that you put so much time and effort into, all these things that you scrimp and save for, all these things that you go deeply into debt over, all these things will be destroyed. Now, with that in mind, how ought you to live? And so I want to close just sharing a few principles with how you ought to live with this in mind. And the first is this way, live godly lives in a fallen world. Live lives that are distinctly Christian. Secondly, trust in a God who holds the future in his hands. 
We don't know it all. My knowledge is so limited. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone 10, 20, 30 years from now. Trust in a God who holds the future in his hands. Be aware that you may suffer for the sake of the gospel. If you put yourself out there, if you live a distinctly Christian life, if you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, if you're not willing to back off of your faith, you may suffer. For be sure, be sure, be sure that a final judgment is coming. You see, I, 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 gotta, I want to confess to you, I don't think about that every morning when I wake up. And maybe I'd make different decisions if I realize that everything is going to burn. It's all going to be destroyed. See, that, that's what the disciples could not fathom about the temple. In their minds, that was indestructible. It was unsinkable like the Titanic. Okay, not a good analogy, right? They could not imagine a day where that glorious temple would be in ruins. And you cannot imagine a day when your little kingdom will be in ruins either, can you? Well, maybe with the ups and downs of the stock market, some of you got a taste of it. But we need to understand that there is a day coming when all these things that we held so dear we'll find that had no value at all. And finally, commit to praying for the lost, praying for those who don't know Jesus, giving to missions, not just when we have our missions emphasis, but on a regular basis, just as part of your life, and sharing the good news of Jesus, telling other people about it, being willing to share, this is what's happened to me, this is how my life has changed, this is why this turned me upside down, being willing to share that. What happens when you do? Peter says you speed the Lord's coming. When the gospel is preached to all nations, every people group, Jesus said then, then the end will come. For us, getting to the end, the final page in God's great work, For us, the end will just be the beginning. If you don't know that, if you have no confidence that when the end comes, you have a home with God in heaven, if you are uncertain, unsure, and scared, quite frankly, and wished I hadn't talked about the end, but God's laid it on your heart today that there is a better way, there is a hope, then I want to let you know there's a Savior who's waiting to receive you and to make you His. There's a new life for you, a new beginning, a fresh start, and you can have it today.